and welcome to You Need to See This, a film podcast about filling in the gaps of our collective cinematic experience. I'm Lucé Tomlin-Brenner, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host... Cozy Orlin. Hello, Cozy. Welcome. Hey, Lucé. What's up? How you doing? I am doing great. I'm in a spectacular mood today, and I am excited to talk about this film. Oh, good. I'm excited to learn about this film. All right, terrific. Well, before we jump into that, let's just let the new listeners know that you and I are comedians, writers, filmmakers, film lovers, and very, very sweet friends. <laughs> Each week, we pick a film that one of us has seen and one of us hasn't seen. Then we try to convince each other and you, dear listener, that this movie is worth your time. We cover everything from 1960s comedies to how did you miss this blockbusters, and we do it all with no spoilers. <laughs> so this week, we are discussing 1967's The Producers. Whoa. And Cozy, you need to see this. I have absolutely still never seen this. We have talked about it on the podcast many, many, many times because we both love Mel Brooks. And I think it is wild that you haven't seen it because I think this is Mel Brooks' best, funniest movie. Hmm. Okay. Why Why that so skeptical so quickly? Oh, no. That is a a misread. Uh, I was making that noise because there was a brief pause in the recording and I went, "Mm, mm." (laughs) hmm. Just like this, this sort of this doubting feeling of was that a good pause or a terrifying pause? But it was a okay. good pause, so it's all okay. Good. So it has nothing to do with uh, what you think about the producers. That is correct. Mm. Okay. Do you have any first takes? Any reasons you haven't seen it? That's a good question. So I've had, uh, you know, I, I've always known that the producers was a, a movie that I should see because it's in the Mel Brooks canon, and of course I've seen a lot of the Mel Brooks films. Uh, when I was very, very young, specifically, because I was growing up with all of those on Comedy Central. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that kind of leads me to why I never saw it, which is because it was not playing all the time on Comedy Central, whereas uh, a lot of his other ones were. And so I've seen those a million, million times. I think that's kind of crazy because, I mean, it's a PG movie. So yeah. there's no reason why. I think it was more the quality of of films that they played on Comedy Central. You know, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> the movie that everybody loved. It was more like the like their B grade movie. You know, let's show off the B grade movie, or let's show off the one that isn't necessarily the most popular because that's what we can pay sure. for. That's true. I do think that this is like his best actual film. Ooh, yeah. See. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, I've never seen this. I've never seen Young Frankenstein. I, I missed out on a lot of his classics because oh, yeah. they weren't playing on on Comedy Central. And I it's never crazy went we didn't do. Them. Oh, we should have done Young Frankenstein during Halloween. We had so oh. many great guests this year, so we'll, yeah. we'll have to do it another time. I don't want to wait until Halloween to talk about that one. No, we're gonna do a Young Frankenstein versus Young Einstein episode, and I am psyched for it. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, we should plan <laughs> that soon. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I love it. Um, Okay, well, let's get into the producers then. It is written and directed by the incredible Mel Brooks, who we've already done one full episode on, right? History of the World Part 1, which you Mm -hmm. did cozy, and then I watched, and I also enjoyed it. Cool. Um, And I guess we haven't done any of his other films. We just, I've talked about Dracula Den loving it a lot because I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) And yeah. we've talked about Young Frankenstein because I love that movie as well. But mm-hmm. I don't think we've done any other ones. 
Yeah, we haven't really talked about what was it, High Anxiety or whatever it was called? The High Anxiety is actually the one I haven't seen. Oh, I think I saw it once when I was growing up and I was like, oh, it's a Vertigo parody or whatever the movie was, but I just never bothered right. seeing it again. I should watch that now because I rewatched Vertigo a couple times this year and I love it. Every time I see it, I love it more. And so I think I'm like really in a headspace for high anxiety now. I wouldn't have, I hadn't seen it as a kid. It wasn't something I watched until I was in my twenties. So I wouldn't have even appreciated the parody. Oh, sure. Yeah. But I never saw any Dracula, like the Dracula Dead Loving. It was like the very first, my first exposure to vampires. And I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. That blows my entire mind. That's so, that's amazing. (laughs) Well, like I knew vampires existed, right? It wasn't like, what are vampires? I think it came out when I was like nine or 10. But like I hadn't seen the original Dracula and I was too young to see any of the rated R versions. So I knew of him as like a figure, but... All the stuff about like, you know, Renfield and Lucy and all the other characters, like I didn't get any of that stuff as a kid, but that the comedy is so good that I was in. Yeah, I think the first time I saw that stuff was probably like Animaniacs. I remember seeing it parodied in that a lot. Oh, I bet I saw it in like Animaniacs that. then too, because I watch Animaniacs constantly. And I have to say, new Animaniacs episodes are coming out on my birthday, November 20th. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, it's I'm, such a good what present. A gift. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited yeah. about it. Oh, as you should be. And I, I'm sure I saw like Blade and things like that. I never really saw any traditional. I, I probably saw like one traditional vampire movie that I was like fine with. But for me, it was probably all parodies and weird sort of side stuff. Right. Of course. Yeah. So um, all that all that has nothing to do with the producers, which isn't <laughs> about vampires at all. But well, what? <laughs> not even a little. No, not even a little. There's no, there are no vampires in this movie. I know. I'm sorry. But you know who is in this movie? Gene Wilder. Cool. The amazing Gene Wilder, who everybody knows as Willy Wonka. Right. And who's also in another one of my favorite movies um, <laughs> that I cannot remember the name of. Oh, oh my God. Bonnie and Clyde. I kept wanting to say Betty and Clyde. And I'm like... <laughs> That is not the name. <laughs> My brain kept saying, it's Betty, Betty, Look, Betty, I'm Betty, Betty. I'm pretty sure it's Bonnie and Steve. <laughs> yeah. So dumb. <laughs> um, it's Bonnie and Clyde, not Bonnie and Eve. Whatever the fuck <laughs> <they're>. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. What a good, I love those. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's hysterical in Bonnie and Clyde. He plays like this really amazing like comic relief. Um However, if you love Gene Wilder, you love funny Gene Wilder, he is the funniest he ever is in any movie in this movie. I think I and remember like him so, in... Every time I watch it... Oh, sorry. Go I, on. Oh, yeah. No, I think when I was younger, I think one of the movies that I liked him a lot in was Haunted Honeymoon. Oh, I never saw that one. Ooh, I should do a rewatch and we should do it on this if I still like it. But like, I remember really being like, hell yeah, Gene Wilder. Hell yeah, Gilda Radner from Haunted Honeymoon. Very strange. Interesting. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm I'm up for that. I know I never saw it. I didn't see really any of his 80s movies. There was a bunch like Stir Crazy, Hanky Panky, The Woman in Red. Woman in Red, I loved growing up. I loved that movie as a kid. He's are all comedies? Yeah, this was like a this was a Comedy Central movie that I watched a lot. Of course, um, of yeah. Course. I mean, I liked him in 
The Little Prince, um, obviously, is funny in Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Love um, Blazing Saddles when I was a kid. Right, of course. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then Bonnie and Clyde, who I just think he's incredible in. Oh, I've never but, seen it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's his first movie, because he was in TV series before that, and then he was in the TV movie uh, version of the play Death of a Salesman. But his first big role was Bonnie and Clyde, and then the producers was his second one. Oh, right. And also, um, was he, he was in, uh, what's it called, right? Um, the, uh, the, the other Mel Brooks one that I, that I, that we loved so much, uh, Robin Hood, uh, Men Tights. Oh, he was? Maybe he wasn't. I may be 100% wrong on that. Uh, let's see. Another you, eligible dentist. No. Okay, I think I was thinking of, um, I don't know who I was thinking of, but he was the one who was able to, ah, you know what, never mind. (laughs) That's okay. Yeah. He was a regular on Bethany Street from 1989 to 1996, which is fun. Interesting, not bad. Yeah. Right now, I'm Um, feverishly typing up Robin Hood Hood men tights to be like, who did I confuse him for? (laughs) Well, uh, let's move on. Gene Wilder, beloved. And then the other uh, main character is Zero Mastel. Mm -hmm. And he's like also an amazing uh, comedic actor. And did, he was a voice actually in what I have always said is the most terrifying movie, Watership Down. So some of our listeners may be familiar with him from that. He was also in Laugh-In a few times, just like an old comedic television show. Um, Mr. Belvedere rings the bell, the guy who came back, the model and the marriage broker, a lot of 50s comedies. Oh, sure. Makes sense. Probably the other like really famous one people might know is um, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Right, of course. That came out the year before The Producers. Mm. He is hysterical in this movie. Um, so you guys might have heard of the producers because if you haven't seen the Mel Brooks movie, it's also a adapted musical for Broadway. And then there was another, a film version of the musical came out in, um, let's see, it was like 2005 Hmm. starring Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick and Uma Thurman. Oh, right. I remember that. I didn't see it, but I remember it. Actually, I like it a lot. I mean, a lot of people are going to say, like, you know, Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane can't hold a candle to Gene Wilder and Zero Mestel. But I think the fact of it is, is they're just very different performers. They're equally as talented. And I never felt like they were doing an impression of the original actors as much Mm -hmm. as they were making it their own. And Matthew Broderick is a great sort of mousy, uh, anxious character that um, Leo... Leo Bloom plays, that's, um, excuse me, the character is Leo Bloom, and that's who Gene mm-hmm. Wilder plays, and Matthew Broderick is great at it, in my oh, opinion. Oh, interesting. So. Okay. I have uh, both on DVD. I like watching both. They're totally different moods. The producers, the original one, has musical numbers in it because it's about, um, you know, putting on a Broadway play. So the musical numbers are the ones that are in the play, whereas the producers, the actual musical that came out and was on Broadway and then the actual movie of it, there's songs throughout. Like the whole thing is songs. Oh, gotcha. So it's really just a, you know, a preference. So let's get into the synopsis, shall we? Yes, please. Hit on it a little bit. Um, 
Also, the tagline for this is Hollywood never faced a zanier zero hour. Oh, no, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) You all, that's what taglines are always pretty, uh, hold your nose. Oh, yeah, especially back then. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Okay. Broadway producer Max Bialystok and his accountant, Leo Bloom, plan to make money by charming little old ladies to invest in a production many times over what it will actually cost and then put on a surefire flop so that nobody will ask for their money back. And what can be more certain than a flop? Sorry. What can be a more certain flop than a tasteless musical celebrating Hitler? So... That is the synopsis. And one of the reasons I picked it was I wanted to rewatch it this week because I was like, yes, uh, you know, Biden won. We're getting the Nazis out of the White House and Mm -hmm. hopefully out of the country with time. (laughs) And I think this is a really funny movie, like satirizing Nazis, which I don't know if we're like 100 percent there yet because it's like so much. It's still like so many people are in danger and it's still we're still living in like a pretty violent time. For yeah. white supremacists. But I think now that we know that we're moving towards a, um, a level-headed, non-hateful person in the White House, we we are moving towards a time when we can enjoy this kinds of satirization. Also, you know, last year, uh, Jojo Rabbit was such a huge hit. Oh, hell yeah. And, so good. Yeah, so fun. And Taika Waititi was so great as uh, his Hitler portrayal was yeah. so compelling and layered <laughs> and fascinating. And you know, obviously he's inspired by Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator, but I also think he's really inspired by the Nazi character in the producers as well. So if you like Jojo Rabbit, I think you'll like the kind of comedy that's in the producers. Okay, that's good to know. That makes sense. Yeah, I've yeah. heard it's weird. I've heard a lot about this movie before. So I think that's where the difficulty might be for you on this episode is mm. that I have already like that. I was listening to that synopsis and I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely have heard all, all I I know so much about this movie already. And like I've heard songs from it before, I think, thrown to me in random situations. <laughs> and like, so I, I'm excited to hear more about it because I feel like it'll uncover things that I haven't heard yet, but I already feel like I have this weird full mental picture of it. Oh, great. Well, here's the great thing about the producers is that the comedy, I'll just get into it. My number one reason, and I think the comedy is really timeless. Mm -hmm. We've talked before about how um, some of the comedy in History of the World Part 1, while you can appreciate it because you're like, wow, that was probably the first time that joke was made. Right. Now it's like a little tired. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And there's aspects of Mel Brooks' work that like doesn't still stay fresh. Like a lot of stuff from Blazing Saddles is like unnecessary now. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think the producers is really timeless and at the same time prescient because we are dealing with, um, you know, it's 1967. So, and it's like 24, 23 years after, uh, the end of world war two. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we're still dealing with people who are Nazis. And so, you know, it's interesting because they live in a time where they're like, well, everybody hates Nazis for sure. Like we're all on the same page. Right. Right. And so it's so interesting now to be in a time where we're like, we actually don't know if our neighbors are secret white supremacists. It's true. But at least we're in a time where we can still create a meme that's about punching Nazis. 
Yes, yes, exactly. And that, you know, we have a government that will at least be on our side on that. Thank um, goodness, finally. <laughs> I, yes, hopefully we will just keep working, keep getting more and more and more progressive instead of having that backlash uh, towards uh, hatred and violence. So I feel like we're going to have to say this many times in this episode. <laughs> um, but I think this is a celebratory movie in that, like, I even though we are still dealing with that violence and the repercussions of the last four years and a history soaked in colonial violence and bloodshed, Mm -hmm. I do think this is a time where if we have space to laugh, we should get to have a good time and just like take a few deep breaths and like allow ourselves some joy so that we can, you know, get back into the fight with like a clear head and some successes on our side. We're never not allowed to enjoy joy. Joy is what keeps us alive while we're fighting. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, I it, totally it's, agree. Yeah, it's just the type of, I think it's the type of satire that changes because there's a type of satire that's based in pure emotion and anger. And it's like, let's mm-hmm. just knock this thing down because we feel helpless and angry. And then there's more subtle satire that when you have some more emotional distance from it, you can do a little more easily. Mm-hmm. You know, like I feel like there will be more room for subtle Trump satire but not for a while because everyone was struggling so much in it. And so it was just like, this guy's bad and sucks. I'm like, that's not funny, but yes, get rid of him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wasn't always, it wasn't the time to laugh because there was so much terrible uh, pain happening. And I found even with Jojo Rabbit where I, I liked it so much, but I felt really sad at the end of the movie because they, there's, um, you know, an air of celebration at the end of that film. And yes. I was like, this is the first time in my life where I'm watching a movie about Nazi Germany and I can't relate to like the joy of defeating Nazis because we're currently in a worse point now than they oh, were sure. at the end of the war. Right. Like, yeah. But the, the satire laughs hit just as hard, but the joy wasn't relatable. Yes. Maybe that's yes. what it is. Interesting. Yes. And so this one, I think the satire is just so, so good. So like the idea is that they they buy this play from a what seems like somebody who maybe was in the SS or maybe in the military and now is trying to live in hiding in New York City. Oh, and I did not know this. Yeah, so they're buying the play from like a former, possible former Nazi, Hmm. and he's trying to pretend like he, you know, loves America. But he wrote this play, like, which was supposed to be a love letter to Hitler. Wow. Yeah, but it's so, so they, you know, Leo and Max read it, and the stack of plays, they're looking for the worst possible play so that they can, you know... (laughs) basically get all of their money from little old women. Sure. And um, (laughs) so they read it and they're like, well, of course this is going to flop. And they don't realize like through a few extended circumstances, they end up casting, they end up having people playing in the roles who end up making fun of, like in their behavior, they are essentially sort of mocking Hitler without trying to because they're just very sassy over the top beatniks <laughs> and so the audience decides that it's a satire while they're watching it oh, and okay. max and leo think it's just going to be offensive mm-hmm. and like in the beginning people start walking out of the play and they're like yes we're going to make all of this money and they end up leaving the play because they're like great we're going to have drinks across the street we're a success mm-hmm. and they don't see when things turn and it becomes this huge success because everyone thinks it's a satire. Uh, so I really love that aspect of it because I am like always having conversations about like, 
when satire works and when it doesn't work and how clear mm. the subjects need to be. And like, I love the idea of, I think we see this a lot with like internet comedy as well. When like, you know, shitty people say something and it's just, they're so clearly like roasting themselves and they don't know it. Yeah. And then, you know, leftist Twitter will like take something over and like totally like, show how hilarious it is or even so much as like screenshotting the like gross things random dudes say in your dms right and then turning that into comedy so i really love that aspect of this movie and i think it's so timeless and that everybody it's like i don't think any of the comedy feels old to me like yes you're watching a movie from 1967 you see that in the design Mm -hmm. but all the jokes feel fresh okay um, and the satire feels fresh also. And I think even better now. I found it, I've watched this movie probably like two dozen times. It's one of my favorites. And it made me laugh harder this last week than any other time I'd watched it. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, okay, so number two, I love Gene Wilder. We've already talked about what a great cast. Zero Mastel and Gene Wilder are so good together. If you're into like buddy comedies at all, this feels like, I know it's not the original buddy comedy, but this just feels like the earliest, like amazing buddy comedy that I can think of. Like that is so much better than even modern movies that come out. Don't you like the other guys? Uh, yeah, definitely. We talk about that movie occasionally. This, for some reason, when I was watching it, I was thinking about you and the the other guys because I was like, oh, man, this is like the buddy movie. <laughs> um, they're so great together. But Gene Wilder specifically, like I was saying earlier in regards to Matthew Broderick, Leo Bloom is this like very anxious, sort of fussy character. And Zero Mastel is this like big, broad, loud Uh, Broadway producer and he knows how to get things done and he's just like all over the place and not loud in like an annoying like a loud man way but sort of like a character that I don't know even exists anymore but just like a a blustery theater person right Uh, I feel like I know that stereotype very well and I feel like I've seen things like that before yeah oh sorry go on oh that's okay um yeah I don't know how excited I am about seeing something that's in the theater you know what I mean like oh, that's sure. the setting for it and all that oh well that's great that you brought that up so mm. that that bring that uh underscores a point that I was just about to make so Perfect. in the beginning they when they meet each other they're they're new so it also has that aspect of comedy of like two two opposites being thrown together in a new job and like learning each other and how Ooh. each other works okay. and having like the small personality with the big personality and all the foibles that come with that. So, um, the, all of their like planning and stuff together all happens. Like, of course it's about theater, but it's all outside of, it's not all like on stage. So it's more like office space and things like that maybe, or? Yes. Oh, yes. Cool. It, I, I definitely yeah. would prefer that. And like, I know you said on our last episode, like process movies that you like process movies. And while this isn't like an emotional process, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of like, like how the job works and steps. And like, these are the steps we have to do to make a flop. Ooh, and, I think I, I, think I, I should clar- clarify. I really only like emotional processing movies. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's okay though. I felt it when I said it, I was like, that might be confusing. Cause I'm mixing it a little bit with other things, but yeah, I totally oh, took no. it to mean something else. Cause That's there's, so there's, fair. 
I like those types of movies of like a job where you see all the different aspects of like how it works and like oh, or heist movies. I really like when it's like, okay, now we have to get the person who's an encryptor and now we have to get the person who's a, into disguises. That's like, a good point. I do like, I like a plan movie. I like a plan yes. execution movie. Plans, uh, gathering a team, getting a you know, having each part fall into place. So yeah. there's a lot of like, we have to meet, like they have, to, so they want it to be a flop. So they have to find the script. Then they have to find the director. Then they oh, have to find the cast. And right. all of it has to do with finding things that they think will make a show plummet, which I think this is actually my, I'm, so this was, I started number two. I'm kind of flowing into number three. Cause my number three reason is that like you and I both produce shows and mm. we have like a long history of producing live comedy. And while comedy is different than musicals, the aspects of putting a show together are so relatable. Oh, that's a great point. Really timeless. And it's, there's this exercise in improv, especially like when you're taking a new class, you're with a new school that teachers like to do. That's basically like on your first day, everyone do a bad improv scene. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you're taking all the things that you know, and it's supposed to help you underscore that you actually know a lot about mm -hmm. the art form that you're doing because mm -hmm. you have to know how to do something to do something badly. So you kind of demonstrate what not to do, um, you know, by doing it in this exercise. And right. they are basically using that same technique of like, do your worst improv scene, but applying it to theater. That does sound And so they're trying fun. to... Yeah, right. So they're trying to create like this chemistry of bogus that is just so funny every step of the way because you just see it turning into a catastrophe right in front of your eyes, but it's in a fun way. And they're like, they are so giddy about it, but they have to act like they're serious. Ooh, that's and good. So, yeah. So like their whole thing is that like they're, when they're together, they're like, oh my God, oh my God, we're doing it. But then when they're around other people, they're like, oh yes, we think this play is very meaningful and very challenging and political. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I guess, I guess what I knew this movie most as in my mind was probably just the play itself within it, the musical itself, the, like the songs and things like that. I never really thought about the stuff before it being in the movie. Yeah, so the play is like the climax. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. Yeah, and so they're really. I mean, and I can get to this in my next one, but um, I'm sure the song "Springtime for Hitler" is like the song that everybody knows, yeah. Oh, yeah. and that is really famous. And like that musical number is a fucking scream, mm -hmm. and it never stops being funny to me. Um, but while I think that that's like a major reason to see it. I just don't think that the, I don't think that the play aspect is like, there's so much more that's going on. It's such uh, a small aspect of the movie. Okay. And again, I will say that like, you know, if you're not a musicals person, then that really is the, the 2005 one with Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. That's the one that's like very heavy theatrical because it's the actual musical. It's a play within a play. Oh, sure. So this one's an actual film, you know, so there is like tons of character development and tons of uh, fun people that you meet and places that you go while they're developing this. So it's more about, you know, it's called the producers. It's more about the production of the play before it is even on stage. Okay. I like that. Yeah, I really like that too. So that um, my 
So that's like basically my number three reason. I do want to go back real quick to just talk a little bit more about how funny Gene Wilder is in this. He has sure. this like early anxiety meltdown um, when he and Max are meeting each other. That's because Max is such a big personality and Gene Wilder's whole thing is that he gets really overwhelmed really easily. Mm-hmm. And there is – it's one of the funniest scenes in any movie ever and every time I watch it I have tears in my eyes and <laughs> it never loses its edge. And I just think that – that's incredible in a film because there's like, you know, usually jokes over time. You're like, yeah, I, I know this joke is coming and there's like certain parts about maybe one of your favorite comedies that you just love, but it's like, does anyone else think it's funny? Oh, right. And like, this is a movie that I always put on at video stores because it's PG and it's also like so fun so that anybody can appreciate it. Um, you know, you're not allowed, most people don't know this, I learned recently, you're not allowed to watch radar movies at video stores because kids come in. And people Ah, complain. That makes a lot of sense, but I also did not think about it. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you have to build up a big roster of like GPG, PG-13, PG-13 that doesn't have tits or anything scary in it. Sure. Um, (laughs) So all that to be said, it never stops making me laugh. And I've gotten to see so many people just watch this scene like at the video store that have, don't see any other part of it and just like laugh so, so hard. So it like totally stands on its own as like a great comedy. (laughs) So two and three sort of go together in that like, if you are like cozy and you're like, I don't know about how interested I am in theater, just know that like this movie is hysterical whether or not you're interested in the theater process at all because the jokes are so well written and their performances are like these two comedic actors at their very best Mm. um okay so i've done three so uh okay so four i will the, the the musical aspect of it i i did grow up going to uh, you know, theater camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've been doing like community theater since I was six. Um, and so I am interested in, I do like, um, you know, I like musicals and mm-hmm. I do like seeing how musicals look in movies. So I do love the actual, you know, climax where we get to see like three parts of the play. Uh-huh. But what makes that interesting is like not just seeing the play, um, unveil itself in a way that you haven't seen before but you were with zero and leo sorry i mix i mixed it up max and leo Mm -hmm. you're with those characters the whole time and you're like everybody's gonna hate this like this is a really fucked up story about nazis (laughs) (laughs) and so you not only get to see the play in its full form but you get to watch the audience turn and i think it is so fucking funny just seeing the process of this being like kind of offensive to catching up with the audience and being like, oh my God, this is actually like a very, inadvertently all these things lined up to make a very funny play. So you get to see it as like, I don't know, the audience member that you exist in today, but also the audience of the 1960s. And it has like a fun, you you take like a fun trip with that (laughs) audience. So you get to be like, almost in the movie in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I like that. Hmm. Um, And then let's see. The final reason to see this movie is that uh, the songs are really catchy and (laughs) it's, they're really well-written songs. I love, we've talked about this before, but like fake 
or like songs that are written for movies. Um, you know, and a lot of times it's like we're talking about like rock music, like uh, Black Sheep in Scott Pilgrim or Through the Trees in Jennifer's Body. But like I really am obsessed with the genre of like fake songs, real life movie experiences, <laughs> you know. And these the songs that are written for this movie specifically are so so funny and so catchy and like so well written that um unfortunately I have them stuck in my head and I've had springtime for Hitler stuck in my head all weekend. <laughs> and it's not a song you can sing publicly. Um but it's extremely catchy and I think anybody who's into that as well will really appreciate that. Oh sure. So Cozy, what do you think? Would you see this movie? Hmm thinking about it right now i'm still sort of processing it a little bit or are there any questions that i can answer to that is a that is a good question in itself Um, (laughs) i don't think there are two so uh are there so i know that there are songs in the in the in the musical aspect of it at the end are there any songs during it or is it just like a straight sort of movie movie before that no, in the in the this one, the 1967 version, it's yeah. a straight movie movie. Right, the 2005 one has songs, and I really I like the songs that are in the new one as well. Sure. Um, so if that's what you want, I recommend that one also. But if you want less songs, then this is the one for you. This one actually, I think you only really get two songs, and you just don't get the whole number. So I do have a question now that I'm yes. thinking about it. Who's your favorite character in it? That is that they meet along the way. Hmm. That's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting question. I honestly, I feel like it is uh, kind of, um, yeah, I controversial is the word I was trying to think of, but (laughs) I, I really like the guy who plays like the German that wrote the play. Sure. I'm curious about him. Yeah. He, when he first, when Max and Leo show up on his door He's like, I am, he's like, I love this country. I'm happy to be here. I love my adopted America and just starts like singing the national anthem. Oh yeah. And is just trying to be like, don't come for me. And it's like, yeah, because all fucking Nazis should be on trial and imprisoned (laughs) and not out living in the world. Um, And then as soon as he realizes that they're not, you know, part of the government, Mm -hmm. he gets into this like, full on like, oh, I I love the Fuhrer. And he's always talking about things that like people didn't know about Hitler. And he's like, you know, everyone praises his military acumen, but he was a beautiful dancer. (laughs) Nobody knows how the Fuhrer danced. And like, (laughs) even the way he talks about like, he's like basically in love with him. And it's a very, very funny portrayal. And he just talks about like all these intimate things about him that really just make Hitler and Nazis seem even more like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Again, in a good, in a satirical way, not like a, they're not dangerous way. Sure. Okay. Um, I think that you made this fresh for me in a great way. And Mm. I super appreciate that because I had a very kind of, 
oh, this is just that one movie that everyone's talked about for my entire life and I know what the deal <laughs> and blah, you know, and something about that turns me off of it because I feel like I would just go and watch it and it'd be the exact thing that I was expecting it to be, which <laughs> is very boring to me as a concept. Uh, and there's this sort of fear of broadness a little bit associated oh, with it too. Yes, there's no, it's not broad. Oh, it's not that's a broad great. comedy. Thank God no, for that. I don't okay. think it's broad at all, really. I, I think it's big. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, I feel like the people who who have always told me about it loved Springtime for Hitler, and that feels like such a broad, big, silly song with like... It's honestly, it's weirdly not because mm. it's really grounded. Okay. So that's the thing, like, even the people in the play are playing it seriously. It's because mm. everybody involved, like, shouldn't... They're not good at their job. Yeah. And it's like their ineptitude that makes it really funny. And like the way that the main character plays Adolf Hitler is mm. like inadvertently very funny, but it's grounded in that character's like beatnik truth where he thinks this is like, he thinks he's doing a really authentic take, Yeah, but he can't separate himself from like the kind of person that he is. He's not a good actor. Okay. All right. I would see this movie. I'm interested in seeing this movie. Yay. Definitely. Uh, and I just thought of another character that I really like, which is one of the little old women that Max tries to seduce to get money out of. Sure. They, she's really cute and really funny. And like, he, it's just like you get this snippet that opens the movie up with like their little like role play sex game that they play together. Interesting. <laughs> and like, it's again, it's PG. So like, you don't see a lot, but like you <laughs> get this window into his life that he is doing these like romantic role playing with like every old woman in New York City just to get them to bankroll his oh, wow. place. <laughs> and this woman is very, very funny. And I just, she's really sweet and I love it. Aww. I love her. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it opens up in a really, within a, a really big way that's very funny. Nice. Uh, so, yay, I'm glad you're in. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what you think. I honestly, Cozy, I think you will really like this movie a lot. Ooh, nice. It's legitimately very, very funny. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I said, this is my favorite Mel Brooks movie, so. Makes a difference. Yeah, I just, I haven't seen any, of, any stuff from him in so long. The part of me is like, is that my old sense of humor? How much of that have I retained from childhood? I'm always so curious about that. Yes. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty good. I saw this when I was a teenager. So nice. uh, not that my sense of humor was like more refined, then, but <laughs> I'm pretty good at knowing when I like something because it reminds me of my childhood. Like I was obsessed with um, Adam Sandler's Hubie Halloween that came sure. out on Netflix. Uh -huh. And I think people were like, poo-pooing it because they want to think that they're better than their child selves who loved Billy Madison. Mm -hmm. But it was almost exactly like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore and those early, you know, Sandler 90s movies. So I love when there's stuff like that. If you can like hit that type of comedy, I'm like totally in, but I know that that's like little Luce being like, he, 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 goofy. <laughs> oh, you know? right. Of course. Yeah. I was just so, watching. I don't think this movie is goofy. Well, that's good. That makes a difference. I was just watching like a clip from, uh, the presidential SNL election thingy, um, mm. where they like announced the election results and all that. 
and seeing Jim Carrey as Biden. And he was just like so goofy and over the top. And I was so, I was so sad watching SNL because I was like, oh, this is what people like. I know. <laughs> I had to turn it off because he was just fan servicing everybody and being and like quoting the mask and stuff. And Ace Ventura, I was <laughs> like, was- I, I don't want to watch this. Oh, oh no! I it didn't really bummed me out. Was quoting the mask. I just I saw the very first one that he did in the the you know season premiere. Oh sure. The debate, and uh-huh. I thought he was funny as Joe Biden in the debate sketch. Oh, but that's good. Yeah, that's a shame. Then the one after that, that was like the fly. I didn't think was very funny. Oh yeah, but, I haven't I haven't seen any until this one. I was like, I'll take this opportunity to finally watch uh, Jim Carrey do Biden. I wonder how he'll do. And I was just like, oh no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, SNL's not very good right now. Although I yeah. will say, uh, you know, our friend Ego from UCB is fucking killing it. Oh, and that's I think- good. All of the funniest stuff are like the sketches that she writes and that she stars in. Oh, that's awesome. And brings like a much needed, like clever voice to oh. an otherwise kind of boring cast. Yeah, thank God for that. That's so important. She did a really cute um like little music video um that I really loved that was like stroll on the vote, strut on the vote. I don't remember what it was. I'm sorry. I recommended a thing that wasn't great. <laughs> it's all I'll good. send it to you. It's really funny. It was from last week's episode. Oh, Anywho, that's cool. Listeners, have you seen the producers? Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Need to See Pod or join our Facebook group to discuss all of the films. And if you want to, you know, hit me up specifically, you can follow me at LTB Comedy on Instagram or Twitter and Cozy's on our Facebook groups. And we would love to talk to you about Mel Brooks or if you think SNL is still funny. Yes, please. Um, I will have a lot of things to say. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, what did you watch this week, Cozy? Do you have any recommendations? I do have a recommendation. Absolutely. I was trying to find something to listen to out of my vast and terrible collection of bookmarks <laughs> that has taken over all of my computer. Uh, and I decided that instead of listening to something new from a new band that I had never heard before, I was going to finally listen to an album from the 90s that had one hit wonders on it, like a one hit wonder on it. And I realized that I need to do that a lot more. And that's what I'm recommending for people. Listen to full albums from one hit wonders finally. (laughs) What? Wait, what did you listen to? I listened to a couple. I listened to all the Sneaker Pimps albums. (laughs) <laughs> because I was like, I liked Six Underground oh when I was God. a, a young I love Six Underground from Can't Hardly Wait. Yeah. Oh, good call. Yeah. That's and I'd never I heard anything it. else from them. And I was like, you know what? This didn't do it for me. I don't like sneaker pimps. This is what I've learned. But I also Wait, was that only that was a was that only their oh I can't get the sentence out. Was Six Underground their only good song? Or were that, you just like this song was of a moment and I don't exist in that moment anymore? I think that one turned out to be their only good song. Um, Mm. but I wouldn't say that it's entirely different from the rest of their stuff. It's just not quite the rest of it's just like similar, but not as good, uh, in terms of quality. Like it just doesn't hit Mm. it. Um, but I did listen to, I finally listened to Portishead. Oh, I finally listened to all of Portishead and everything they've done. And I liked it a lot. Ooh. Okay, I've never listened to Portishead. Were they one-hit wonders? I always thought they were sort of like 
I don't know, just a band that was popular with some people, but not mainstream. It might have been that, but for me, for me personally, at least, I remember hearing that one song, Only You, on, on MTV and being like, this video is amazing. This song is weird and glitchy and cool. Uh, cool. And then I just like never listened to anything else they did. Uh, and so I, f- I think that was the only one that even approached the mainstream. So I oh, listened wow. to- Oh, wow. See, I never even knew that they were on MTV. Yeah. It's Not such a cool video. I reckon, if you haven't seen that video, it's amazing. Uh, or it was back then. I don't think I rewatched it, but, um, yeah, (laughs) I finally like listened to them and I was like, Oh, these, this sort of sounds a little like spy movie music and a little glitchy and a little Halloweeny. And I was like, Oh, this Mm. is cool. No one makes music like this. Okay. Well, you know, you got me with Halloweeny. So yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bands that are considered one hit wonders that are like legitimate bands. I love like the cardigans. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you guys haven't listened to the Cardigans, first band on the moon is like one of my all-time favorite albums. I listen to it regularly. Ooh, I don't know if I've listened through all their stuff. Oh my god! And Gran Torino is their other album. Uh, Highly recommend. Ooh, yeah. It's not just because it's of a moment; like it's legitimately good. I think. Ooh, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's like that whole uh, Marcy's Marcy Playground thing where everyone's like, "No, they're really good songwriters. You just have to listen to any song, but that one that there was that they were known for." Sex and Candy. Yeah, I've never listened to that CD at all, but maybe I'll have to do that this week. Might be time. I can see it in my head though. Oh, amazing! I think I remember (laughs) the video. That's all I got. Um, yeah, I I mean, I loved Eve Six. I loved Third Eye Blind. Right. Oh, definitely. (laughs) They were all in that zone. That the the Eve Six and Third Eye Blind. Everyone was like, "They're such good songwriters. No one has any idea." (laughs) Oh my god! In junior high, all I listened to was Third Eye Blind. They were like my fave. Them and oh, I guess the Money Money Boss Tones are considered a one hit wonder, which is. Kind of weird because they're like huge in the punk ska scene. Right. Sure. That's a good call. I suppose that was like the one moment that they crossed over. Right. The impression that I get. Sure. I think about that coming out around the same time as Semi-Charmed Life. Man, I love Semi-Charmed Life. That's one of my favorite one-hit wonders, even though I never, I don't think of Third Eye Blind as one-hit wonders because I had like three of their albums. Yeah, those were like the 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 one-hit wonders that everybody loved or in a different category than the one-hit wonders that you look in for like half a second and realize that there really was nothing else to them. And yeah. then maybe they had the one good song and they just put it out there as a smokescreen. Yes. That's the thing that actually drives me crazy. Cause like, I mean, whether or not third eye blind is like an actually good band, it's hard for me to say, cause I just have so much like early teen nostalgia for them. Mm. But like, I don't like it when people are like, Oh yeah. One hit wonder this band, our lady peace. Or those are the <laughs> band I was obsessed with because it's like, well, just because you never chose to buy their like myriad albums, like there were so many different types of albums these bands put out. Like they don't really, just cause you didn't listen doesn't mean that they're a one hit wonder. Right. It just means that they were briefly leaked into the mainstream, which only rewards things that the mainstream likes. And that's such a bad barometer for art. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so I think like you were saying, it's really only a one hit wonder if there's just one good song and the rest of it 
sex. Yeah, and then they just keep sucking or disappear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that one one band. Like uh, that thing you do, one of my favorite movies that, All right. song that they put out, they were true one-hit wonders. Like they were a band that broke up after like less than a year together. <laughs> oh, completely. And and I think I I know I saw that movie, but what I know that more for it from is their the the New Found Glory cover of that song. <laughs> Oh no, I hate that. <laughs> well, it's so good. It's such a good cover. I mean, Fountains of Wayne are great as well, but the cover's I do like amazing. Fountains of Wayne a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> did the original song, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, really great recommendations. Wait, did I recommend? No, I didn't say anything yet. No, you <laughs> we just got Hit so into one hit wonders. <laughs> um, I have it written down in my notebook here in front of me, so I thought I already said it. I have been rewatching the TV show Fargo, and I love it so much. Isaac had never seen it, and I had only watched like one through three, and I think it's the fifth season that's out right now. So I never watched the fourth season. And I'm so psyched on the fifth season because Chris Rock is in it and he's like the star and I'm really, really want to see, I want to see him. Wow. Chris Rock is the star of a season of Fargo? Yeah. That's crazy. That blows Um, my mind. I'd never heard that and I love it. Yeah. I'm really psyched. So like each, it's sort of like an anthology series in that like Each season is about different people who are loosely connected over time. Um, Yeah. So like I'm, I love the first season. I love the second season. That's we're (laughs) in the second season right now. And I just, they get the highest caliber of actors. I just love it. It's so darkly funny. And then also like weirdly, brutally violent in ways that are like, you can't really watch more than two episodes at a time or you get a little like exhausted by people's heads being blown off. Sure. But I just, and it's like getting to be winter and like, you know, takes place in Minnesota mostly. So like, I just, I love it. It's such a good show. So if you guys haven't watched Fargo yet, I was really apprehensive. I was really apprehensive about it originally because I treasure the movie and I was like, why would they make a TV show? But the TV show is such a great job of honoring the movie while being a totally different thing that's not even really about the movie. So I think uh, everyone will appreciate it if they give it a chance. Ooh, I'm at some point maybe have to give it a chance then. Very cool. Yeah, it's great. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, hit like we said, hit us up and the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review and and write a little something for us and we'll read it on the air. Uh, This is a great way to help other people find the podcast. And we actually just got a new review that I'm going to read now. Perfect. So Uh, exciting. Yeah, I know, right? This is from about a week ago. says, uh, the title is, Love, Cozy, and Luce. Aw, great start. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Stephen Marinelli. They're such, they're such genuine hosts and are great interviewers. They give their guests proper time to flow, and they help bring out the best in them. What a sweetie pie. Thank you, Stephen. That's Thank a you. lovely review. Thank you, Stephen. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very focused on uh, flow in terms of conversation stuff. So that's amazing. Yes, and we want our guests to shine when they're here. We had such an incredible lineup over the Halloween season. So I'm so happy that you enjoyed that, Stephen. And mm-hmm. 
Other listeners, if you feel the same way, hit us back. Let us know what you think. Um, So now we're at the point where I say thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much to our sound engineer, Pete Burns. Thank you, Pete. And we couldn't do this without you. Thanks for listening to You Need to See This. And now it's springtime for Hitler and Germany. Relax, relax, Mr. Liebke. We're not from the government. We came here to talk about your play. Hey, play? You mean springtime for... You know who? Yes. What about it?